I was thinking of how to start when I was told about this. Uh, um, I tried to write different things, but every time the pastor kept on trying to push me in a particular direction, which was sharing my own personal secrets. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> those who know me know that I'm actually quite a private person. <laughs> but I had to summon courage. Mm -hmm. I, I borrowed some. Okay, so we'll start. But the center point of what we'll talk about is really, um, we're talking about worship and work. And worship is like a fragrance, like what the Bible says. And part of what drives this fragrance is fruitfulness. So we... The Bible says we are to bear fruits. And the question is, what fruits? I don't know, the slide. Please. Who's moving the slides? Okay. Move, move my face. <laughs> it's funny looking at yourself somehow. Okay, not this guy. This, the real slide. Pastor, who is this guy? <laughs> okay, so I will, I will shoot. There, I'll go. Okay. Okay, so we're talking about the fruits of the Spirit. Because that's the fruit we are to bear. And that's the root of the things we should ask for. There are many things we ask, there are many things we desire, and every time we go to God, we have challenges in life, and we go to God and ask God questions. Sometimes we make demands. We want a car, a house, this and that. But one of the things I learned was that, um, which was a secret of Solomon, which was asking for the root that gives you everything. So. Just when I was a child, we used to have these, watch these films about a genie, and you usually have limited wishes. So if you had three wishes, or what if you had one wish, what would that be? So, and the most powerful things in life are delivered through the gifts of the Spirit. And when Solomon asked, and what did he ask for? Wisdom and knowledge and he got more than wealth. A lot of times we ask for wealth, or we ask for the finishable parts when we should ask for the, the source. So, but how can you get the gifts if you do not have the fruits? So, a lot of times we have to reflect back and ask ourselves, every day we go back home, have we been good? Have we been kind? Did we show love? Were we gentle? what we are going through, can we survive through long suffering? All these listed fruits, are we bearing those fruits? If we do not bear the fruits, we do not attract the gifts, and the blessing becomes a challenge. We will go back and forth, but the core focus is really, should really be matching ourselves every day against the fruit that we bear. 
And that really should be the core of how we approach life. That, that's my thought. I, I remember when I was a child, I was a baby. Um, there are two incidents I remember. I remember my first day in nursery school. Yes. Yeah, I, re I actually remember. And I remember I cried when my mom left. <laughs> yes, but now, um, over the years, they beat me so much that I don't have tears left. <laughs> so, but I remember also when I sat down on the floor as a three-year-old in church, my grandmother took me to church, and I was looking at the preacher and everybody, and my mind got convicted that this God that is so powerful, that does everything, that owns and created everything, I knew that. Yeah. And that one day, I would have to make like a pledge to him to do good all the days of my life. And that will be, and when I thought about that, I felt sad. And that would be very difficult. And I was a baby. But what does that tell us? It tells us that we underestimate our relationship with God based on our ability to forget. So it's because I remember. But what of the part before then that I cannot remember? As long as we can cast our mind back, we actually knew good and evil. So when God says he knew us, even from the very, very beginning. So where really is that beginning? Because our memories fade and fade and fade. So uh, it's when the Bible describes Jacob and Esau and the holding of the leg from the womb, those things were not accidents. Those babies could think. But our challenge is that because we cannot remember, it means that God did not exist. So I moved on. I actually grew up after that. <laughs> so I remember when I was in primary school, I, I had a very serious challenge between my primary and my secondary school. And that was my um, skinny hood. I was severely skinny. I was like almost transparent. <laughs> so my parents were worried. They tried different formulas. In fact, they restarted baby formula in my primary five or something. Then there was a time my dad says four tins of milk every day. And not like now. I could actually eat. I could eat a lot, but the result was, uh, yeah. The result was no result. <laughs> so I was skinny. So uh, sometimes maybe they should tie a stone on my leg when there's heavy wind. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So I felt inadequate. Why I'm saying this story is that sometimes we will have inadequacies in our lives. So I felt inadequate. So in my primary school, how I, how I, addressed that inadequacy was to find, I knew that I had to be special somewhere else if I'm not special here. And that's the way God does it. That's why blind people have stronger senses in somewhere else. So find that your X factor. Because don't lament too much about what you don't have. But try to ask yourself, what is the compensation God has given me? So spend your more time more on that 
than on what you don't have. So I became very good in mathematics. Mm -hmm. It was called arithmetic at that time, but. <laughs> so I became so good that my classmates looked up to me. So that compensated. Then when I went to, I went to a military school, so I was in the military. And um, it was also tough because I was, I was still skinny. I was consistent. <laughs> so I now said to myself now, because they congregated the most brilliant people in the country to put us there. So that was still going to be, if I'm going to go in that former formula, it will still be, it could be a challenge. Then I developed the skill as a marathon runner, long distance runner. I could really, really run. I could, there was a stage where I could run and towards the end I look back and I see nobody and I'm, I'm just hearing the sound of my legs, my feet on the ground. And yeah, so, but what that showed me was that even my disadvantage was an advantage somewhere else. So maybe your X factor is in the thing you have thrown away. And I'd like to tell people that you have to ask yourself whether you want to trade in sand or trade in gold. If you want to trade in sand, it is easy, it is outside. It will give you money, but not, not that much wealth. But if you want to trade in gold, you have to dig through the debt to get it. You have to take risk, you have to sweat. But when you do get gold, it is a lot. And so sometimes your treasure is in the debt, it's in that thing you don't like. And I tell people that I like to use the philosophy of Isaiah, which is, here I am, send me, rather than say, this is my calling, this is my gift, this is my talent. Um, who called you? You called yourself. <laughs> um, our biggest dreams are too small for God, because when we leave our decisions to God, he knows much more about us than we know about ourselves. So he's able to give us better decisions. I remember when I was taking my decision about what to study, I wanted to be an engineer. But my dad wanted me to be an accountant. But I was sure I was not a good accountant. But he was sure that I should be an accountant. So we argued. It was family meeting upon family meeting, even extended family meetings. But I insisted, but he thought I was a good accountant because there was this subject called principles of accounts and I did well. I was like top three, but he did not know I was cramming it. <laughs> <laughs> so there was this, those who studied accounting, we understand there's this trial balance, then there's this additional information. So when it's just the trial balance, I can cram everything and put it. But when they start to put additional information, then the additional information becomes one paragraph. It becomes two paragraphs. It becomes two pages. Then <laughs> you have to know it or you don't know it. <laughs> then I saw the textbooks we were using in the university. It was big. I said, no, I'm not going to cram this. This is not for me. <laughs> so we had the arguments. And one day I was praying and God asked me the question 
which sometimes you have to ask yourself. Do I want to study engineering because I really, really think I'm better in engineering than accounting? Or just because I want to prove a point that I'm taking my decision and not my father? Because sometimes we choose not to take some decisions because of who is suggesting it. <laughs> I'm not the only one. <laughs> so we, we, I don't like you, so if I take it, I will feel like I'm inferior. It's just pride, really. Pride disguises itself in many ways. Mm -hmm. So we don't like to take those decisions. But nobody cares. The story of who made the rich man rich is not as important as the story of the fact that he is rich. <laughs> so in the end, I told myself in the end, I'm either successful or not. The story of whether it was my father's suggestion or it was my own suggestion, it's just, it only embellishes your story of your success. But if you are not successful, there's even no story at all. <laughs> there's nobody going to talk about you and talk about your courage in saying no to nothing. So, <laughs> so okay, so I had to take that, and sometimes we take decisions because of our interpretation of the dream that God has laid in your heart. So what I felt as a child was that I wanted to invent and innovate. And I saw that as computer engineering. That was my definition of innovation. But today, I do quite a lot of innovation. It took me many years to go back to that original dream, but in a different, with a different route. So when Joseph had his dream as a child, he saw stars and moon and everything bowing down before something and he interpreted it within all that he knew, which was just his small family. That is his brothers and sisters bowing before him. He didn't know about Egypt. He didn't know about the world. He didn't know about anything other than his family. So sometimes we are guilty of interpreting our dreams based on our current capacity and the limited knowledge we have. But we forget that God says that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, neither has any mind conceived what God has planned for those who love him. So if you believe God loves you, then you have not even seen it enough. If you've seen it, then it's not it. So a lot of times our dreams are bigger than us. So we need to, it's only if we allow God to drive us in that dream that we'll get there. Sometimes you say that I'm so good in physics, I think I should be a physics professor. I'm sure of that. But says, God says, go and study chemistry. He said, no. Physics, I know. That is my calling. I'm choir. <laughs> the pastor doesn't know anything. <laughs> but God wants you to add chemistry so that you will be the best nuclear scientist. But you are saying no. So we must ask ourselves, what are we saying no to? And that's why the parable of talents because sometimes we limit our capacity to one talent and we want to hold on to that one talent and say, this is our talent. <laughs> and then 
but we forget that we go to only in the church do we say we can do all things. When we leave the church, we can say we can do all things except mathematics. <laughs> all things except numbers or some things. Mm -hmm. So we begin to limit ourselves and we begin to select. And we select ourselves away from God's path because we have under-selected. So that's how I got into school, but because I didn't get any admission into engineering, all the admissions I got were accounting. Even the admissions that I did not ask for came to my house. <laughs> so even there was some time, there was a form I didn't fill, my dad and my brother filled it, and then it came. So I found myself there. So I said to myself, ha, I am now in this class. So I, I remember the story my mom told me, which was that, about a, some young man that went abroad to study electrical engineering and stuff about electricity in the house and all that stuff. So he came back and they did a party for him. And then the light tripped off. And they said, oh, our son has come from abroad. He can do it. <laughs> so the son looked at, he looked at the box and then he went, opened his box, bought some big books and was flipping through the books after a couple of hours, they went to go and call Pius, the electrician. <laughs> Pius came in five minutes, he had flicked it. <laughs> so that fear, <laughs> so that fear in me said, okay, I'm studying this accounting for the meantime, pending when I get my admission for engineering. But that fear, that this accounting certificate will be in my name and my child will come one day and ask me a question and I'll behave like that boy. <laughs> I say, okay, I have to at least know it while I'm here. So I put an effort. <laughs> so I said, then I looked at the kind of effort I will put. I said, if I try to pass, I might just fail. So let me try to excel so that definitely I will pass. So I now mistakenly accept. <laughs> so I, I became quite good, and I now put myself a target to be a chartered accountant before I left school. So I was able to achieve that by my third year. But uh, I prayed about it. Yeah. And, and some of the things, when I have like a target, I try to put it in regular prayer all the time. So uh, while I was doing that, um, I remember my first professional exams. I, I failed the course and I felt bad. Uh, but that course that I failed, I had to study it again and again and again and it became the best course that I knew that helped me for most of my life. And so that failure was good. <laughs> so sometimes we feel good, but we don't feel good. <laughs> so it is God that works in you to will and to do of his good purpose. And when they say the steps of the righteous are ordered by God, it's not the direction or the destination, it's the steps. So every single step. And we like to hear that verse. But the next verse says, though he may stumble. <laughs> so 
what kind of righteous steps require stumbling. So, so that stumbling is part of the perfection of the steps. So some steps look like they are backward steps, some look like they are sideward steps, but they are still ordered by God. So let us ask God for the learning in our so-called failures. So that is that part. So I said to myself, I wanted to work in an oil company. Okay, I, I attended one fellowship one time, and they said, oh, this guy was giving a testimony that he did an internship in Chevron, and it was the best. So I said, okay. I started praying now that I would do my internship in Chevron because that's the best. <laughs> so I prayed and prayed and prayed. I did not even know where Chevron was. <laughs> so when I started asking my colleagues, I found a place and I went there to look for the HR person. They said, no, this is Chevron Staff Club. So, <laughs> so I had to trace... I got there, finally, with several bosses, and they said, oh, they finished, that this is like two days to the test, that nothing. I said, no. So I sat down. That day, I went there fasting. <laughs> so I had been praying. I said, ah. So I now waited for the woman that had gotten her name. She came out and said, it's late, and I left. I was going to walking towards the gate, feeling somehow, but my spirit said, just turn back. I said, turn back for what? Okay, let me just pretend like I'm asking a question. So I went back to just ask the security man a stupid question. Then he was on the phone. He said, ah, madam, he's still here. So she now came out and I said, okay, she'll give me one chance. So, okay, so I was supposed to come. They gave me a letter to do the test. This was like employment letter in my eye because that you haven't been selected to do the test. So I went. I, I started saying, what will I study? Sometimes what we need to study to move forward may be the things at the back. So then I didn't have GMAT or anything. I went to my younger sisters who were doing their common entrance, and I took their verbal attitude and quantitative aptitude test and, and used that to prepare. And I was timing myself like 10 minutes to finish as many questions as possible. So a lot of times, you want to study something, you want to move from where you are, but your real problem is really underneath you. So you have to go to your foundation. Sometimes some subjects, many children don't understand because I used to teach um, teenage church. Many children don't understand happened at the early stages when you miss the lecture in physics for Newton law, Newton's laws. You are gone <laughs> if you come in the year after. <laughs> when, when you mix oxygen and its compounds and all those things in chemistry, you are, there's nothing, if, no matter how much you want to read in the front, you're gone. So sometimes you have to go back to the beginning. So I did that. So I was now praying that day. I came fasting for the test. So I said, okay, it's 30 questions. I said, God. And I looked at all the people that were writing the test with me. Some of them were from my school. And they had a higher GPA than me. I said, okay. And then some of them, while we dropped at the bus stop and trekked, some people's father's car drove into the compound. You know, they're important people. 
<laughs> so I said, ah, these ones, they have connection and they are brilliant. That's the most dangerous set of people to compete with. <laughs> so how do you want to, where do you want to defeat them? So I said, ah, that the only way, I said, God, the only way is if I score 30-30 and I confessed. <laughs> so I started to pray to score 30-30 and confess because that was the best now. <laughs> so in the end, they called the results. I actually scored 30-30 and I came first in the interview. But, <laughs> but, but, so it was now time to start. So they wanted us to start in January or something like that. And my school was only ready in April. So it was going to be a challenge. So I now started praying again. So in the midst of my prayer, God now asked me, what do you really want? Do you want the best or you want Sheva? So I say, ah, this is a very dangerous question. I know this is the way they used to sleep chloroquine into a child's hand. This bitter something, and they say it's better for you. I said, no, it is not Texaco, because that time I, I had an opportunity to work in Texaco, but it was downstream. They didn't have a good canteen like Chevron. <laughs> yes, and their staff boss was not so fine. You know the things we look at. <laughs> so I said, no, I don't want that one. That's, this is, when, when you get into the two companies, you see, it's different now. Even the security men, some look well-fed, some look fed up. <laughs> so, so I said, I said, no, no. So I was praying, but I knew where God was pushing me to. So in the end, uh, because that question was, why did I pass and then not get it? God sometimes has to show you that the reason why you don't get something is not because he cannot do it, but because he has something better for you. So we must learn to trust God in decisions. Some decisions look painful, but there's a better, there's a better way. God knows better, and God knows best. So I ended up there, and that was the best decision in my life, in terms of my first working life. There's so much I learned there that I will never have learned anywhere else. The kinds of relationships I had, that was the first time I learned how to put on, to use a computer. Mm -hmm. So I learned a lot of things there, and learned a lot about work, and by my second year in school, I was preparing, writing CVs for my senior brothers and sisters. I knew how to write CVs. I knew how to prepare for I knew what tests every company was using, which ones were using GMAT, JRE, um, or whichever. I knew that. I had, and I had said I wanted to work in the oil industry. I wanted to be the best accountant, this, that kind of thing that I saw. So I knew every single all the phone numbers of every major oil company. In my head, I knew the numbers. I knew the extension numbers of the head of HR. I knew the ones that were called human resources manager, the ones that were called personnel manager. The one I knew. I knew the kinds of tests each of them were doing. I knew their office. So every two weeks, I dropped my CV. <laughs> I knew those things. And so 
I went to another company, one of the major oil companies, I will not mention them. So I dropped because I wanted to do another. I did an internship with Texaco for like one and a half years. It, it's, it spanned because my boss died. <laughs> and then there was strike too, but my boss died, so they needed me to stay longer. So I ended up being a contract staff, and I made a lot of money, don't worry. <laughs> so I was, I was combining that with school. And so I, my school was in Benin, my work was in Lagos, and then I would travel for school, maybe one week to the exam. But what helped me was that, uh, and that's why we have to choose our friends. <laughs> my roommate was also doing ICANN with me, and he was my friend, so he would call me on phone and say, exam is about to start, or this lecturer needs you to be there, all those kind of things. So we had the same kind of vision. Uh -huh. So we have to be careful about who we move with. Um, if we have a very big or strong dream, it's hard for us to move with people with a different, with a completely different dream. So it helped me a lot. He's my very good friend. So that's what made me survive. So in my third year, I wanted to do another internship. So I went to another oil company. But before I got there, a year before, I had gone around dropping CVs everywhere, and there was a test happening, and I, couldn't, I was not allowed because I, did not, I needed to know somebody, and I did not know anybody. So I, I stood at that building, and I, I don't know whether I, it was like a vow or a curse. I said, you will come and look for me, that all of you will search for me. And because by that time I had gone around Lagos, you know, my one last shoe, no, my shoe had filed, you know, I don't know. You know when your shoe is competing for thickness with your socks? <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, and the challenge with one last shoe is that just as you save enough money to add a second shoe to that one last shoe, that one last shoe dies. So the next shoe becomes the one last shoe. <laughs> So, so that's so I had my third year. I I was applying for an internship, so I came back to that same company. So I called my roommate. I told him that I found out from the security guards that this is the window. <laughs> so I told him what to do. We applied together. They now gave him letter to come and write test. They didn't give me letter. I said, why? So I now asked him what they wrote in the letter. They said, come with this type of pencil. This Bible, this, this, I gathered everything and I appeared there 7 a.m. <laughs> I said, me too, I write this. So all of us were at the gate. He got, and as usual, I prayed, fasted, everything. I, I tried to be holy the days leading. You know that kind of thing now. <laughs> so, so the security guard was now overwhelmed and said, ah, these people are too many. Let them cross to the second gate. So, I just shook my head, I ran. Got a second kid to say, oh, right name here, this. I just passed, when the nurse said, ah, some people have letter, their name is not here. Some people's names are here, they don't have letter. Okay, just write your name, I just wrote my name too. I was like, I think 189 or so, like the one with bio. <laughs> so we now sat down, I was now praying again, that same prayer. 
that I prayed, that let me come first. These people are rich, connected, algebota, that are brilliant. No, brilliant algebota, dangerous people. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, they now called and said, okay, we're going to take 30 people, and then after that, they'll pick the first six through interview. So I was praying, praying, avoiding food. <laughs> so they now called and said ah, that they're overwhelmed. They had a list of 30, but they would just take the first six. So they now called. I was first, my roommate was second. And I said, wow. <laughs> so we now went, they now said, okay, they should, we should go to HR to put our names down. They did not put in the names down. And I said, ah, madam, these people are university. Say, ah, we didn't know. Is their luck? Now put in. Say, ah, people have their internship is shorter. Say, ah, is their luck? <laughs> so I crossed to what I ordinarily did not deserve. But it taught me perseverance. It taught me that there's a way God burns a dream in you that it brings a lot of power out of you. So I got the experience, I got the relationships. Then finally I settled fully in school. I became a full-time student in my last year. <laughs> but was I really full-time? I was lecturing part-time while I was full-time. <laughs> so that helped me. I remember one of my part-time students because what we also learn as we move is relationships. The biggest investment is investing in people. So I used to, one of my part-time students, she was a very powerful woman somewhere in some ministry. And then I accidentally told her that, oh, we're about to do youth service. And he said, ah, youth service. She now called the director and said, ah, that's a small issue. So the director was now giving her respect on the phone and everything. So I said, ah, that is going to Sokoto. No, 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 move him. Just, that's how they just moved me to Lagos. Just like that. With people, two people joking in the phone over somebody's life. And that <laughs> <laughs> just like that. So I ended up serving and I was now thanking God that by that time, I had about between four and seven job offers, as in full-time job offers. So I was just thanking God that, wow, that I have these offers, but what I received was that you ain't seen nothing yet. So I was, I held on to that. And in so doing, yes, I ended up in Chevron. Yeah, yeah, just to tell you, I still ended up in Chevron. <laughs> but I just spent like a year or so, something like that, before I left. But God still brought me back to what I wanted, where I wanted, but at his own time, in his own way. Mm -hmm. So in selecting, sometimes you have, like those of you who work or even in business, you have the ups and the downs. I worked in a place, in a bank, a very big bank, and it was... From the day I entered, my boss's 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 boss just saw me through the window and said, I don't like this guy. Say, who's that fellow? Because I was recruited when she was not around. So, and she liked, she had a lot of power. So it was like Saul 
and David like that javelin. Man, every day she was after my soul. <laughs> Telling you. It was an appraisal point for my bosses to deal with my appraiser. <laughs> so I could not do anything right in her eyes. But one of the things I learned in that process is that, and I tell people, there are, certain, there are two ways you are appraised. There's the subjective and there's the objective. Make sure you get your objective right. The subjective, we can always argue. What is the objective? Make sure you get to work on time. <laughs> you cannot explain that one to a third party that they are victimizing you, but you came late. <laughs> so come on time, leave after time. That's, that's just that, that one you cannot explain to somebody else. Just do that one. Make sure you are not absent when you don't need to be absent. You are not using company time for something else. All those little, little things that they can use to victimize you. You cannot explain that. I'm not the only one that came late. No. <laughs> okay. So just, just do those things. I remember one day, I was so bad that we left in the middle of the night, me and a colleague of mine who was a favorite child. <laughs> so... We were stranded on Ted Milan Bridge um, in his car. He was dropping me. He used to drop me around close to where I would live. I would trek to. I was staying in Jerry in Ikeja. So he dropped me at Oshodi, but I, I could trek. I was a trekaholic. <laughs> so we were in his car, and the tire had an issue. This was past midnight. So he had to go down to, or to go and find just go share to find something. So I was now in the car alone, everything. So much later at night, and I saw some people coming with, looks like they're carrying weapons and everything. I was seated in the front seat. So I panicked a bit. I ran to the back seat in the same car. <laughs> <laughs> so we, it turned out that they had escorted him to confirm that that was his car. They helped. So we got home. We got to his house. This was Saturday morning, like 4 a.m. We were supposed to come to work in the morning. So we got there at 4 a.m. I just spent like one hour sleeping in his place. Early morning, I ran to my house, dressed up, got back to the office. And they said, oh, that I was 30 minutes late. I explained to them what happened. They said, is that so? They said, but I was still late. That doesn't matter. So they say, so where is Tunde? So they now call Tunde, who was my colleague, the favorite child. Say, yeah. how are you now? How did it go? Uh, so, so sorry, what happened to you? I was looking. <sighs> Sometimes you are good because you are loved. You are not loved because you are good. <laughs> so sometimes you face that. So, but in that moment, um, I had done some interviews. I was shopping, doing interviews. But I was not doing interviews to exit. I was doing interviews just to, just to feel appreciated. <laughs> just to know that at least somebody out there <laughs> was interested. It's not like, have I really lost form? <laughs> yeah. So one of my bosses, that was not my direct boss, called me, I cannot forget, in a car park one day and said, I know that, I know what you are going through. I know that because you are different, uh, don't change who you are. 
because there's somebody else that will like you for this thing that you are. So I held on, but I also, I also said to myself that I will move in my own time. So sometimes some of you have this pressure where in the office things are not going well. Um, it's not the pressures that you face that should decide your future or should take decision for you. Sometimes it's just it's a fruit of the spirit, long-suffering. <laughs> we always like to dodge that one. We prefer kindness and gentleness. But long-suffering is there. <laughs> so, so that's what builds you. So eventually, I just did an experiment and I ended up in total. It was, I, I did not want to take the job. I just was just testing out and I found myself there. And they, I think a few days after I had signed, I cried. I said, what have I done? Because it was just an experiment. What happened? I went to the printer. We used to have this resignation letter in the office, standard template. We used to exchange it. So I just tested the template and printed out the resignation letter. So, but Tunde went to the printer before me and said, ah, and I just finished making my presentation for the year on how wonderful all the trainings and all this. So, yes, it was not Jesus, it was Tunde. <laughs> so, so, I just quickly signed it. I went to submit it because I knew he had gone on the phone to make calls. So, that's how I resigned. That's how I moved. But in moving in all these things, um, I learned something, which was that don't make a move because of the pressures. Ask God first. And that's why even when I've been tempted, I've always wanted to hear first before I make the move. And I always say to people, there are three ways you look at time. Um, I, I'm a bit controversial when it comes to grieving because <laughs> I don't really believe in grieving. That's me. That's me. Because I think sometimes it's like a comfortable room that has a jam lock. <laughs> you don't know when to stop. It's not always that easy to get out of it. Um, I say, your past is for learning, not dwelling. Your future is for planning, not procrastinating. Your present is for action and not dreaming. So if you classify your time properly, you can maximize the use of your time. There's no need listening to old love songs that remind you of somebody you will never get. <laughs> There's no point. <laughs> they are married with three children, but you're still playing this song that reminds you of them. <laughs> There's, no need. There's no need dreaming of working for a company that has been shut down. <laughs> so there are just some things that you like <laughs> so, so another thing again is because we are running out of time is relationship with money I remember I was I think about 12 years old when I was with my classmate my schoolmate there he was very instrumental uh, his name was Benga Yibande so he he was like an example for me as a Christian because 
Christianity for me in the military was survivor. We used to go for fellowship because we were avoiding fatigue and some other things. Not because, you know, because really, uh, we go to church on Friday. They called it Padrea. Everybody goes to church and mosque. So when you go to church, it's like relief. No one's going to hit you. Nobody, you have less, you have, that's your window. In fact, the Lord was my refuge. Just <laughs> so... <laughs> So he, I saw one day, they said something, they put a poster in church, they were talking about tithes. So I said, I said, Winger, is this true? Is this in the Bible, this tithe thing? He said, yes. I said, ha. He said, difficult or no? I said, do you do it? He said, yes. I said, ha. How? He says that his pocket money now, he gives one-tenth of his pocket money. I said, ha. That is a lot. Then ah, I now thought, my conscience. Then I now came back the next time. I said, Gwenga, I've done it. He said, what about your provision money? I said, ah, ah. <laughs> that one too. He said, yes. Ah, that's difficult. But that's how I started. When you start small, you get used to it when you're bigger. Yes, people say, it's not an argument whether it is in the Bible or it is not in the Bible. I like to look at it as, what is my relationship with God and my business and my money? Uh, do you pay insurance? Mm -hmm. And who do you go to when the business stops working or when the salary stops coming? How do you explain to him that he's a part of it when he was not taking part in it? <laughs> it's just the logic. Forget about what the Bible wrote. It's just the logic. Is he your business partner truly, but he gets no dividend? So that's it's just the logic. So the logic makes sense that I give him his, a share. And he says he wants a small share, even though he's doing the big work. So I learned that. And when he came to offering, um, there was a time, I think I was about to start my youth service. There was this pastor, escort, late pastor, escort. he was preaching and he was talking about Giving his offering with check, I say, ah, with check, okay. Offering with check, and I pray to God that I will get to that level. Instead of praying about the problem, that it is difficult. So I pray that I get to the level where I can give check. So, but one of the things I learned was that um, two things. One is that when you go to give your offering based on what you have in your pocket as a Sunday, it's like you're giving crumbs. You, you must be deliberate. And then the second thing is that, as I seek for increase, whether in salary or in profit, I have to increase my offering. Many of us are still giving as offering what we were giving 15 years ago and hoping that your company will adjust your salary for devaluation. <laughs> But you have to do evaluation <laughs> and self-evaluation with your finances with God. So is God going to get a part of this increase when you sit down, when you kneel down and pray to him? So, so you have to, it's not crumbs, it's not remnants, it's deliberate. And sometimes I have to budget at the beginning of the year for my offering. Yeah. And the fact that there's a loan deduction does not change because the loan is for me now. 
So don't use all these funny tricks to reduce. Don't say, don't use your offering or tithe to substitute your giving to people and not, no, you will still give people. <laughs> no, you are not to administer it for God. God will administer his own. Imagine you, you sit down and somebody tells you that he has already administered your share of profits. <laughs> you say, I knew you were going to pay school fees, so I paid it for you. I knew you were going to. <laughs> no, <laughs> it's not. And then there was something I learned one day when I had an investment uh, and it went bad. What happened was that I broke a part of my savings and I used it because I didn't have money. So I now said, oh, let me use my savings. I did it and it went bad. And then I sat to myself, I was praying and I asked myself, am I able to break a part of my savings to give to God? So and I vowed that every year I will break a significant part of my savings and give to God. That's, you want to know the secrets? These are the secrets. That's what I, and that should not be reduced from your offering or tithe. <laughs> be careful. <laughs> it's not net off. So, <laughs> so that's the way I, 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 I always try to say that you are God's accountant. So whatever you have is what he gave you to administer. Yes, you check your phone, you see text message of people begging you. There are many people, relatives and everything. But we are actors here. Which part do you want to act? The beggar or the giver? So shut up and stop complaining. <laughs> yeah, because that's the position. You know, life is like Monopoly. We play with that paper money. So that's how we are. Because the real life is beyond here. So what we have is paper money. So your part may be to act as Lazarus, your part may be to act as a rich man, but you get paid for how well you act, not the position you act. And not all of us must be rich. Rich is not success. No, not all of us must be rich. Some of us, being rich will kill us. Being rich is not for us. But peace, love, joy, meekness, kindness, gentleness, that's, that's what all of us should be, not, not rich. They say money answers all things. So who speaks to money? It's all things. All things call money, and money answers. And then we speak to all things, and God speaks to us. So we are number two. God, us, all things, money. But when we go to chase money, we go under. We chase money. Money is not used to anything under it. So money does not understand. And then, because we've gone under, we are now two steps away from God, so we cannot communicate with God. God is calling us, but all God sees is all things. So all things and money have blocked us from God. So, lastly, I will say, there are four things you need to be successful. Just four things. Uh, so she was talking about my stay as president of the cooperative and everything. Um, when I got the job, I remembered Solomon when he got that big break of being the king. And what did he do? He made a major sacrifice. So what I did was that I gave all my dividend that year and said to God that this, my stay must be a success. I brought out a five-year long-term plan 
and put indices and advertise and say, this is what we are going to achieve. One of my friends that was like a rival, like um, a challenger, every annual report, every AGM, he will come, he will look at the indices. He says, you said you were going to deliver this. So each of those years, he says there's something wrong because each of those years, I was either 5% loss or minus all the key indices, which I had said I was going to deliver. But how I knew it was God was that what he didn't know was that even though I achieved that profit, the class that I said, the, the business that I said would give me the profit was not the one that gave. So it was not A, it was B. But at the end of the day, I still hit the numbers. But even when I was wrong, God made it right. That's what it meant. So the four things you need, you need a very big dream. A big dream. Some of our dreams don't come true because they are just too small. I give the example of a, of a mother. You have two children. One child comes to meet you. We are going for sports tomorrow. I have my clothes, my shirt is dirty. So it's okay, put it in the basket. Comes back at three o'clock, he says, my track is dirty. So put it in the basket. He comes back, he sees the basket is still having his clothes. At six, at seven, at eight, he says, oh, normally mommy washes these things and puts it in the sun and calculates and calculates. Says, my shirt is not so dirty. Maybe I will keep it and I could use it as fallback because mommy may not have time, obviously. So the daughter comes and says, oh, my clothes are dirty. Say, put it in the basket, puts everything. Daughter doesn't care. She doesn't even think. Puts everything. Then by midnight when the children are sleeping, mother looks, okay, the basket is full enough to wash and puts them in the washing machine, puts them in the dryer, does everything. By morning they come. Only the clothes that were dropped are washed. What happened? One had faith, complete faith. The other one had backup. <laughs> yeah. Then also, why did she not wash it on time? Because it was not enough for one run in the machine. Just, you are just offering God a singlet and you want him to launder it. Come on, you want to waste his time. He says, bring all your dirty linen. Bring all your burden, all your dream. It must be big, big enough. Then the second thing you need is a powerful God. You can choose whichever God you want, but just choose the one that can deliver that size of dream. No, no, it's democracy. <laughs> so you choose the one that fits the size of the dream. Then you need to have faith, strong faith, to believe that that powerful God will deliver that big dream. Then you need to have the energy to back up the faith. If you don't have the energy, then the, dream, the difference between a dream and a fantasy is that in one case you get off from the bed, in the other case you toss and turn and continue to fantasize. So, I don't know if I've said enough. <laughs> but, but we must 
surrender, be willing to surrender our decision making to God. And we must be willing to remember Him, to celebrate with Him. It's important to remember Him. Jesus mentioned those who remembered Him after He blessed them and healed them. Uh, so let us ask for the fruits and desire the gifts, every other thing. If only wisdom and knowledge could give that so much to Solomon. Imagine you, if you were a doctor and you had the gift of miracle, how your business would boom. If you're a stockbroker and you had the gift of prophecy, come on, you will see COVID. <laughs> so so there's, there's a lot that God has put, but most of the time when we enter the environment we are in, they tell us to come and drop our weapons outside. That Come on, this is not a serious case. Now, why are you over-spiritualizing? <laughs> so then we end up under-spiritualizing. And we go without our armory and our superior guns and fight a physical fight with someone who has a knife hidden under. And we wonder why we lose. So thank God. Thank you.